One of the most proven repeatedly things in personality research is the connection between extroversion and subjective well-being, which is a fancy way of saying extroverts are happier. And in fact, there's one study that if you get introverts to act like extroverts, they're happy. My guest today is Eric Barker. Now, if you try and look up information about Eric online, you're not going to find a whole lot except for one thing. He writes a massively, massively popular blog called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And he has a book out now by the same name where he dives deep into the psychology of how we act in the world, often focusing on a lot of paradoxes, the weird things that we do and bringing research to illuminate why we do how we do it and trying to give us some good wisdom to how we live our lives. When I was prepping for this conversation, I was fascinated by the fact that I could barely find anything about Eric the man anywhere. So we spent some time kind of deconstructing who he was and what got him to the place where his deep fascination with human psychology grew a pretty giant global platform, which led to a book and some really interesting and unexpected stops along the way. Excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields. This is Good Life Project. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Good to be hanging out. I've been reading you for a long time now, which I'm sure you get a lot. So as I was sort of uh, saying, okay, so let me learn a little bit more about Eric since we're going to be hanging out. You know, I feel like I've, I, you know, I, I know what you work on. I started doing a bit more research on you, the man, and I'm like, Uh-oh. is it, is <laughs> Is he in witness protection or something? (laughs) I got your LinkedIn page and it's like, okay, so there's not really anything here. And then I'm searching on the web and then I find like a bizarre question on Quora about like, who is Eric Barker with two answers, only two answers. And one of them being that um, you're the dude who in 2009 graduated school and posted a Facebook ad to get a job. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a crazy little experiment I had, I had read about. And it was, it was funny. It was one of the first things I did with social media where I was playing, playing around with it because I realized, oh, wow, you can do like ad targeting and you could like this. And it was fun to play with. And frankly, that was, that was probably like, around like March of 2009. And then, which, which was like one months, of like, the months before I started the blog. I right. started the blog like, like literally four months later. Yeah, and, and zooming the lens out, one of the worst moments in the history of the economy since oh, the Great I, Depression. That, yeah, and you're coming out of school. Yeah, it was just <laughs> oh no, it's just like you're you're like you can see the car headed towards the brick wall. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and so that was one of my first you know 
and it got all this press coverage and stuff and like and I was just like, wow. So, because I didn't know anything about, like, really about social media. And then when I put the blog together that summer while unemployed, and then I kept doing it. And um, and then uh, Tyler Cowen and Marginal Revolution started, like, you know, really recommending my stuff, and it started accelerating. And that was that was really how it started. Those were my first forays. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, I want to take a bigger step back though, um, mm-hmm. because you also you have this really interesting it seems like you deep dive into topics and spend chunks of time. You're in LA right now. Yeah. Um, undergrad in philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. What was that about? <laughs> uh, it was, it was funny because I, I like knee jerk picked it. And uh, when I was filling, when I was filling the form out, I was there with actually one of my professors and, and it's like, why'd you pick philosophy? And I just kind of, it just, just knee jerk. I was like, well, if I don't understand that, I don't understand anything. And, just kind of fundamental questions. And, and it's funny because ever since then people will be like, wait, so you have an undergrad in philosophy, you have a degree in, in like entertainment production, and then you have another master's and you have an MBA in marketing. It's like, how do those three line up? And I'm like, well, you've never read my blog, I guess, have you? <laughs> and I mean, cause those, that is what I think. I try to think about big questions. I try to make it entertaining and you know, you gotta, gotta get the word out. So it's funny. I've, I've ended up, ended up in an odd way, sort of using all the, the education I've had. Yeah. Which also makes me really curious, like who you were as a kid. <laughs> were, were you like the deep thinking, like entertainer? Because I mean, from the way that, that I've heard you describe yourself and it kind of comes through in your, the depth of the way that you write. It doesn't seem like you were that kid. Well, it seems like you were probably very much in your head, but maybe I'm oh, wrong. Oh, no, no, no. I was very much in my head. I was, I, I was a big reader, um, always been pretty introverted. And, you know, I, I, I was just very much in, I don't think I've left my head. <laughs> I think, I think I'm still in there. <laughs> yeah. Did you grow up in Southern California? Also? No, I, I was born in uh, Philly. I was raised in South Jersey. And then I went to college in Philly. Ah, all right. So... <sighs> Philosopher King as an undergrad, um, which seems to suit you well. Um, entertainment, though. Yeah, I, after I graduated college, uh, I spent a decade in Hollywood as a screenwriter. And uh, I wrote for Disney. I wrote for Fox. Um, I had a couple really bad movies produced. <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was great. But it's like, you know, really up and up and down and, and uh, you know, and, and kind of and kind of crazy. But. But then again, blogging is not much different, so maybe I can't. <laughs> yeah, but I'm curious. I mean, what kept you in it for that long? Because you spent a serious chunk of time doing it. I mean, believe me, if 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 I wouldn't have been able to like make a living or keep going, I, I definitely would have left. But it was like you know, I, I always managed to 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 find, kind of find the next thing, and you know, and it was it was exciting. It was a, it was a fun uh, industry to be to be involved in. But you know, it's just it's you're you're fighting, man. It's a, in features. It's all freelance, and you know. And I, I love writing. I love being involved in creative projects, but, uh, basically you spend so much more time looking for work than working. And that's, that's just not, and Hollywood's such a kind of closed ecosystem, like kind of, they just do its own thing. Whereas, you know, blogging and, and even, you know, uh, writing books, uh, you know, it's much more flexible. You kind of, you write what you want. People come to the site. Great. If they don't, okay, you better change something, but, but you're not beholden to a handful of studios. Yeah. It seems like it's much easier to sort of skip past the gatekeeper in the Absolutely. world that we live in than oh. in the sort of big screen world. Although maybe that's changing to a certain extent. I mean, we're seeing, you know, like indie films get crowdfunded and stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're seeing, I mean, and now with, you know, I mean, you're seeing, definitely seeing a proliferation of options because, you know, stuff on YouTube, Netflix, it's, there's, there's more options than there, than there have ever been. Yeah. And, it seems like a lot of the great writing is going to TV these days too. Uh, no doubt. I mean, you know, movies are, what we used to call summer movies are now pretty much all movies yeah. and, and budgets have gotten, you know, through the roof and just, just to do it and, and trying to please a worldwide audience and, you know, it's that versus, yeah, the really good stuff is, is, is on television. Yeah. And then you hear, what was I reading recently? I'm sure you saw us also something like Amazon has like a $6 billion, like media production budget. for Abs- the Absolutely. Year or like that. I mean, net- Netflix, Amazon, and HBO now are just, you know, I mean, and, and they're all looking at quality content. I yeah. Mean, it's like, they're doing the deep character studies and the really interesting. Well, I mean, ho- you know, the, the big Hollywood studios don't make those movies anymore. Uh, I mean, they're kind of happy to almost happy to cede that territory. You know, you, you, you take the Oscars. We'll, we'll, we'll take the capes. Yeah. <laughs> but on the, I mean, on the big hand, uh, on the big hand, on the what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one who needs coffee. 
on the other hand, it's like they're all going for like the formula that they really feel like is going to hit like the big thing out of the park. But it's also yeah, the thing that yeah. makes you, I mean, those mo- movies yeah. cost a boatload of money to produce. So, yeah. you know, maybe you have a, a higher likelihood of it, you know, like box officing well, but also if it doesn't, you're busted. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's their, it's kind of the venture capital model, yeah. you know, where you just, you expect seven to fail, two to break even and one to, one to be this huge blockbuster hit. But, you know, you're just, it's just the the numbers are kind of staggering. But then again, now all all of the major studios are owned by conglomerates. Mm. So it's not like, you know. Everything's different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and and it's like you look at, you know, so many of the properties are, are big IPs where there's merchandising. There's a, The movie isn't even, the movie's basically an ad for something else you're really right. selling. Yeah. No, it is, it is interesting the way that whole thing has changed, especially if you're a writer, which you are. And like you care deeply. Yeah. About language, about story, about character. Um, so, but it's interesting. So, you, it's like, do you feel like that's the time, that's the place where, it, it, like, the writing side really bit you? I mean, what? I mean, it, it's 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 easier to to mock screenwriting because we all see so many bad movies. Yeah. But the truth is that you you learn a lot from screenwriting simply because, mostly because it's the one form of writing that takes place in real time. So you can have a 700 page book and you can, and the reader can easily pick it up and read 10 pages a night for forever versus a movie. You're probably going to watch it in one sitting, you know, and, and it has to be written to be watched in one sitting. So you're very conscious of time and there's a lot of white on that page. You don't have a lot to work with. Uh, you know, you so economy and, and keeping pacing becomes really important. Mm. So there's, there's a lot of valuable skills that get developed in, in terms of studying screenwriting. It was interesting for me to go from screenwriting to then blogging, which is a you know different medium. And then I had to basically teach myself, this is my first book. I had to teach myself, how do you, how do you write a book? I've never written a book before. So there were certain things that I could take from screenwriting and I was like, oh, those muscles are really developed. And there are other things where I'm like, whoa, I've, I've never done this before and I need to, I need to pick this up. It was almost, I felt like an athlete switching sports yeah. where you're conditioned, but, but there are certain skills that translate well and others that don't translate at all. Yeah. But, and at the same time, I mean, because I'm assuming what a lot of what you're working on was, uh, it, it, it wasn't documentary style stuff. This was, you know, like the fiction side of yeah. things, um, which means that you really have to understand pacing and beats yes, and yes. you have to understand how to keep people moving and keep people engaged. Like every 90 seconds, like there has to be something dropped. Which, which is interesting because then you get to take that mm-hmm. into nonfiction writing, Yeah, which is, I, I would imagine that's one of the things that was really able to help you distinguish yourself earlier is understanding the psychology of needing to keep people consistently moving deeper and deeper and deeper into what you're writing. I, absolutely. I mean, being able to be able to grab attention, grab it early, uh, to turn story, to, to, to utilize, to, to deliberately set expectations, knowing you're counting on reversing them. You know, there's a lot of things that a lot of tools you learn there that you can you can implement in the nonfiction, but also in in the book I I do tell stories. So that's some place where it's just like, you know, for for me at least, throw, throwing the fish into the water. You know, it's like okay, that's oh no, I gotta now I gotta go back to talking about science studies again. Ah, ah man, <laughs> is there fiction in you? Is there like a novel or something in you? you think? Uh, I I mean, that's it's interesting because I've never really. I never really thought about it. That would that would be another thing where I'd I'd kind of have to 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 study it. I wouldn't know. That it was one of the it was funny one of the first criticisms that my editor had about the early draft of of my book. She was like, she's like, it's really good. You got lots of information, but you know, you have space. You can slow down because my pacing was so move 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 move. And she's like. You you can give it a paragraph or two. It's okay. Uh, but the the screenwriting had taught me. It's like you know, it, it's just it's shot can't last longer than this many seconds. You got to keep it moving. Don't let them get bored. And I was like, all right, you can you can relax. You can relax. And yeah, so interesting, right? Um, it also seems like it's uh, like you got really focused on paradox, like you, what you just said before. You know, this is funny. Like a bunch of years ago, I sat down with uh, Robert McKee, like yeah. a famous story oh, guy, yeah, right? Yeah. And I remember a line, he's, he's like, I'll butcher it, but he, he essentially told me, he's like, you know, the, the story exists between expectation and reality. Yeah. Like that's where the story is. If yeah. you're constantly made expectation, there's no story. No. And therein also very often is like where the paradox exists. Um, yeah. And which is, it seems like so much of your writing over, you know, like eight years on your blog and yeah. in this book, you know, yeah. for sure. Yeah. 
um, it's all driven by paradox, like exploring paradox. Oh, and I, I mean, that's, that's how I structured the book where each, each chapter, I take one of the maxims of success and I look at both sides. I, I don't, I don't like when it's like, here's the one answer and it's always true and never wrong. And it's like, no, you know, it's like, there are two sides of this story and, and both sides kind of in their right context or at the right time do have advantages. There's reasons why, but we can kind of come to probably a, a pretty good answer or a pretty good approximation, but to, to almost, I almost treat it like a, like a legal battle in a way between two sides. And, and I think that is that it's, it's not this simple one size fits all one skeleton key. So no, I'm like paradoxes is, is always intriguing. Yeah. Cause it's in it. So I have a past life as a lawyer. Okay. So it was interesting for me to, to both see there's a really interesting pattern that actually comes out of legal writing yeah. that you use in your blog post and your book. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Which is that, and this is funny because I, I was taught this my first year, like the classic one L year really? in, in law school. Right. And they teach you the, the shorthand is Iraq, which is issue rule application, application conclusion. So identify the issue, mm -hmm. like identify the rule or rules or a mm -hmm. question. And mm -hmm. then like application, application, argue both sides back and forth and mm -hmm. then conclude. Yeah. And that's fundamentally what you do in your blog. <laughs> and it's also what you do in your book, like, but like on a macro scale in your chapters, which is, which is really interesting because it gives you this sort of full circle experience. And then let's use zoom the lens out and say, okay, so like, how do I, like, what would I conclude? You know, it's, it's almost like you kind of want to, you know, you get to, to, to drop yourself into the end of it. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about this for weeks now. You, you just, you're just kind of, no, this is what you're doing. Like, oh my God, you're right. Like that's, wow. I, I that's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> you just gave me tremendous insight into what I've been doing. I don't. Well, it's, it's, it's really interesting because it, it is like presenting sort of like a, a legal brief to a certain yeah. extent, or this is, yeah. and, and, I, and I remember this because I, I memorized that formula and I, I used that on everything that I did in law school and it, wow. it actually allowed me to do well. <laughs> so like, all right, sweet. All right. So, so 2009, the country's disastrous. The economy is crumbling. You graduate school, you're looking for a job and you do this really kind of fun, interesting, different thing on Facebook that ends up not really panning out. And mm -hmm. in the interim, like, or during this whole thing, yeah. you start blogging and asking all these big questions. What was your intention at that moment in blogging? I mean, at first I was, at first I was looking for kind of like interesting insights. I was basically, I was combing through academic journals and I was just looking for, for like for what was really interesting, what was really, and what I started to find that really interested me was, you know, questions we'd always kind of all asked ourselves about like life, about how things work and, you know, from all over the place in terms of, you know, relationships, negotiation, happiness, whatever. And I started seeing that, like, uh, there's this great quote from William Gibson I love, where he said, the, f the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And I started to see that where I'm like, no, like a lot of these things we wonder about have been answered in these like dusty academic journals. It's just not accessible to people. And I started looking, I'm going, oh my God, like either proving the kind of little, you know, uh, things we'd always suspected or disproving things. And that's what I really started kind of focusing on was just, I, I didn't want to write about or look at anything that you couldn't use where it's kind of like, oh, hey, here's, here's, here's something about your genetics. You know, you can't change that. <laughs> you're, you're doomed, <laughs> you know, versus looking at like, uh, things we could, we could use to kind of leverage and, and just make our lives better. Yeah. Was your, was your intention more, I want to answer these questions personally, or was it, this is interesting for me. I wonder if it's interesting for others and could I build something more substantial around it? I, I mean, I, I wasn't even, at first I was just like, Hey, I'm finding this stuff and why don't I put it out there? Maybe other people will find it interesting. And, and luckily they did. But at first I was just kind of like cutting and pasting like abstracts and then like writing a sentence. I wasn't even actually really writing. I was yeah. just like, here's, here's, here's an abstract and here's an English right. translation in one sentence. And if you, especially if you look at your earlier work, yeah. it's like, there's a ton of eggs. Right yeah. <laughs> I was doing like five, I was doing like five a day. Were you really? I started I didn't out, realize that. I, I just, I, I would just do like five abstracts a day, maybe a one line or I'd highlight yeah. just, Oh, Hey, this was, this was the thing. And, and then eventually that evolved into like one or one post where I'd kind of cobble together a few things to show a trend or prove a point. And, uh, and then eventually it turned into one, one a week kind of more epic more topic. Driven. Yeah. yeah. And like, okay, here we're, we're going to go down the rabbit hole on this one. And, uh, and, and I would look at, I would go back and comb through the posts I'd done. I'd read a couple books 
uh, on it. And I would, I would try to just find some overarching idea that I could really explore with, within that. And, and, uh, <laughs> and then it became really challenging. <laughs> yeah. Because also you start to develop at some point, a massive body of stuff, of knowledge, of resources, of excerpts of, yeah. How do you, I mean, it's funny. There's interesting similarities between you and uh, Maria Popova, like from brain pain yes, in yes. terms of, yeah. you know, there, it goes at some point from curating and sharing to yeah. also your own work starts to become a part of this, your own voice, yeah. your own integration, your own synthesis. So it's yeah. not just, Hey, here's something interesting I found. It's like, you're starting to interpret and share and piece things together in a way where like that has additional value too. And that was the craziest thing for me was that because I started out just kind of cutting and pasting these abstracts in like 2009, I didn't actually start like writing anything until like 2012. And what I realized was that like once I was kind of like, oh yeah, that's what I need to be doing. I was scared and it was so Why? great. What I, was scary? I, I, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it was just, and I'd spent, you know, a decade, you know, as a screenwriter and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, well now I need to, and it's like, I was like, oh, geez, how am I going to approach this? And, you know, because it was this whole different thing and it was immediate. You know, it's like screenwriting. It's like you write something, you sell it. It doesn't necessarily, it very rarely does it make the screen, you know, and then that's, and, but this is kind of like, it's going to be out there and like everybody's going to see it. And, and I, I realized I was, I was scared. And then I, I, but I just kind of started small and I just this. And then more and more, I just kind of like, started realizing like where's the best place for me to let the the work show where's the best place for me to use my voice and that just kind of evolved but it was it was uh, it's like exposure therapy <laughs> oh exactly it was i was I, I was not only talking about cognitive behavioral therapy i was engaging in it at the same exact time <laughs> right. it's like, i was kind of like, like breathing okay. deeply as i'm writing this we're gonna put you in the same room as the snake it's okay yeah. he can't touch you you know reach towards the snake. i was exactly yeah. so, but i mean it's interesting also because right around that time this was a time where a lot of sort of um, popular writers were going deeply down the interpreting science rabbit hole and yeah. coming out with books. Yeah. You know, Gladwell was you know, yeah. certainly started before that. But then like right around that time, a bunch of other people started sort of like doing similar work in book form and they were taking hits for it. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. makes for a nervous environment when you don't come out of a background of hard science, but you're writing in some way trying to share that science with a popular audience. Oh, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, I remember that whole debate and I think to, and to some degree, I think it's still going on, but it's, it's kind of like, but I think the, you know, the best, the best researchers aren't necessarily the best popular writers, just like, you know, um, the best football coaches aren't necessarily the best football players. You know, I mean, they're, they're different roles in a way, you know, the people who, uh, the, the news anchors are not necessarily the journalists are actually doing their, their researching. And I think, I think we like to blur those lines, but you know, there, there is a distinction between, you know, writing, writing popular mainstream books and, and actually doing academic research. And so I don't know, I think, I think there's, there, it's worthy of discussion, but I, I, I think with much ado was made of it. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think it's really interesting and, and I get what the, I get what the hardcore science side is saying yeah. is that, you know, to a certain extent, some of the work gets bastardized or dropped Absolutely. or there are nuances that don't get passed through. Or maybe Absolutely. I think, you know, in some cases they've said people have completely misunderstood and misrepresented yeah. the work. Yeah. And I get that. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, I think my sense is a lot of researchers do the work because they're wired to want to do the work. Yeah. They just, they have a burning question. They want to answer yeah. it. That's what lights them up. And that's yeah. awesome because yeah. we all benefit from that, but we don't all benefit from that unless and until the wisdom of that work, yeah. you know, like transcends the walls of academia and moves into some level of popular impact. Yeah. You know, or else it's just, you know, like cognitive, you know, it's, it's personal inquiry which yeah. is deeply satisfying for yeah. them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if they're discovering something which can have a profound impact on the human condition, yeah. you know, how, to me, the question has always been, well, let's get it out there. And yeah. if, you know, if you need to, in some way, you know, if not all of it gets out there, but if it gets out there, if, if the heartbeat of it gets out there in a way that allows people to interact with it and play with it and have it affect them in some way, I'm, I'm, I, I agree with you. I'm, yeah. I'm all for that. And, uh, and yeah. I think it's also, it's worth potentially making some mistakes and having some missteps along the way in the name of, 
of creating that conduit. No, and I mean, I mean, you know, look at other areas of science. I mean, like you know, medicine. I mean, you know, not every not every drug helps every person, but a doctor will put it out there. We'll try it if it's if it seems safe and certain to. So you know, we need to be balanced about. It. I mean, I understand why you, you don't you don't want headlines that that completely, like you said, bastardize the science, but. You know, it's like what, where, where I guess in general, where's the bigger danger in in hiding this valuable information from people or in, in putting it out there and, and maybe it gets distorted? I think that's kind of the question we might want to ask. And also, in the, you know, in the academic world, in the science world, there's a ton of siloing that goes on. And I, I wonder sometimes when you have someone like you who's not focused in one specific area, yeah. but you're voraciously reading across a broad spectrum. Yeah. Of sort of like domain areas of domain expertise, yeah. it creates the opportunity to say, well, this lab is working on this, this lab is working on this, this lab is working on this. Mm -hmm. And you can start to see patterns, you know, cross domain patterns that when you're very siloed, you know, you're just not focused on the work of others. So you're, yeah. or completely different fields that may in some way have stumbled upon the answer to your question. That's to me, that's what's so fascinating. Um, even to take it to the extreme of like, uh, the stories I tell in the book where it's like just finding those principles or those ideas illustrated in real life. Uh, or like you said, to look in different industries, different areas, and you're, you're just seeing these, these same thing, these fractal like patterns in every different, you know, arena, you know, and, and to me, that's, that's why, you know, that's why I, I, it's interesting for me to do interviews as well. When I, when I interview, th then I can put it in their voice. It's like, you want to talk about the nuance? You want to yeah. talk about the, the exact, you know, the exact uh, statistical probability? Great. Go ahead. You can, you, you can say it, you know, well, I'll use your words as is, but, uh, but to look for those trends and patterns, I think that's where it's really valuable because then we can start to say, Hey, maybe this is a broader idea and it's not just this isolated thing. And we can pull it out of that silo and, and say, is this something we need to look around for? Yeah, no, I, I love that. There's there's so much value in that to me. Mm -hmm. um, just get more people interacting with it. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of citizen science going on these days that is really fascinating to me that, you know, it's not peer reviewed, it's not double blind, it's not, no. you know, it's not, you know, publishable in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Yet you're getting really interesting data from mass participation and sharing. Oh, I mean, and you know, it's like with the internet now, this stuff can be running, you know, 24 seven with, you know, with absurdly large sample sizes. Yeah. I mean, so no, I think that's, I think that provides an excellent first step for yes, maybe later you do want to do the double blind. Maybe you do, you, you do want to put all the controls in, but it's like initially that can help you look for the veins that are worth, you know, worth uh, pursuing. Nah, I totally agree. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So, as a business to business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long, and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So, isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C level leaders, with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. 
If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash project to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash project, or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front-row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. So our awesome friends at Freshworks make ridiculously easy cloud accounting software for freelancers and small business owners who know that making every single moment count is a really important part of getting a lot of stuff done and being able to do the things that they want to do in their business. By drastically simplifying things like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has totally changed the game for now more than 10 million people. You can link your FreshBooks account to your credit card and debit card. So next time you expense, you know, the business stuff or the tank of gas or lunch, it just shows up automatically. They have notifications and awesome customer service. To claim your month-long unrestricted free trial with no credit card required, go to freshbooks.com slash goodlife and enter the Good Life Project in the How Did You Hear About Us section. So 2012, you've been, you were working on the blog for, it started in 2009, right? Yep. Okay. You've been working on the book for two years. Uh, yeah, I got the, I got the, the, the deal, made the deal in uh, January, 2015. And uh, it took, it probably took about two years. Uh, and, but what, what was really valuable for me, it was really funny. It was valuable for me. It was you know, I've been doing these interviews and I'd interviewed a lot of authors and I would always kind of steal a little time aside to just ask them, Hey, you know, I'm writing a book, yeah. do you have any advice, any thoughts? And I heard this, this one really scary They're statement. Like, Don't do it. It'll kill you. We want to know how you're doing what you're doing. <laughs> it, was, it was scary because I heard this one sentence over and over again. Um, uh, I talked to, to one really great, really great, huge uh, academic and author. And he said, well, you know, I took the first year and I just read and I was like, Oh my God, I have to read. I have to do nothing but read for a year. I'm like, maybe he's extreme. I talked to a, another uh, professor at Harvard who's a published author. Well, I took the first year and I just read and I'm like, Oh my God. I'm New York Times bestselling author. I took the first year and I'm like, Oh my God, I have to take a year and just read. Like when can I actually get started? And I'm terrified. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to get an extension on my contract. What am I going to do? And then I realized I've been reading this research for at that point six years, and and I, and I looked, and when I started putting the book together, I realized, wow, if I hadn't been doing this blog for the the, the book I wrote would have taken me four years, um, if I hadn't been looking at this for so long, and it was that was that was because it was a scary moment to have to think I'd have to, but I I'd already kind of been doing that work, and and it was hard, but it but it paid off. Yeah, why a book? I mean, you're. By all accounts, you're you were doing something you really enjoyed. Yeah, your work was reaching a a, a massive yeah. audience. So why a book? Uh, I mean, I I I really do enjoy trying new things. Writing is kind of the thing I've you know I've always been focused on, and and that seemed like the natural kind of next step for for the blog, where you know it everything had been growing. It had been just abstracts. Then it had been like compilation of abstracts. Then it had been me kind of really exploring issues and um and you know and i would get questions i would get questions from readers that kind of presented this this conundrum 
that I could never really solve, which would be I would talk about a subject and on I'll, you know, and I, I'll revisit subjects like negotiation. I'll talk to a professor on negotiation. I'll talk to a hostage negotiator. I'll talk to this. And some readers will write to me and they'll say, oh, you cited that study before. Why aren't you showing me something new? I don't want to see that. I've seen that before. Why are you showing me that? I'd go, oh, okay, that's a good point. And then I get a, something from another. And then I, I would, then I wouldn't show that study again. And I get emails from a different reader. You're not, you're not citing that study. That, that's the most fundamental point. How can you not bring that up? You have to bring that up. It's key. It's critical. It's the most important research out there. It's the, and I'm like, how do I resolve? How do I? Because if I'm comprehensive, I'm going to repeat myself. And if I'm not comprehensive, then it's going to be looking like I'm negligent. <laughs> and that's when I was kind of like, I want to do something with, that's not exhaustive by any means, but where, okay, I can really put it all out there. This is beginning to end and I'm going to cover and it felt like like a book was a natural way to kind of do that. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. It's sort of like pick a small number of topics yeah. and then let's go, let's have a, a fuller conversation where we yeah. just put everything in there. And now yeah. if somebody says that to you, just be like, page, <laughs> yeah, page, page 142. <laughs> exactly. It's all there. Go read it, <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm not repeating anything. Right. I'm going to say it once. I said it once. I said it. It's done. And then lock them on that. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, so and I have to ask this this one other question. So, between 2012 and you know, so you get a book deal. Yeah. Um, you got four years in the middle there. Yeah. Seems like you're blogging pretty much full time, yeah. assuming you're actually not in witness protection. <laughs> How are you actually living? No, I, I I from 2010 to from 2010 to 2013, uh, I was working in the video game industry, ah. and um. I worked for uh, I worked for Volition, uh, which is a studio in Illinois, and then I worked for uh, Irrational Games. What were you doing for that? Uh, I was doing marketing, actually. I was doing video game marketing. So it was after I got my MBA, and it was a big shift for me because All right, so now more is being revealed. Well, it was because <laughs> the, the psychology it, of gaming plus marketing in that industry is I mean, really interesting. Well, it was it was fascinating. It was also interesting for me personally because I was the embedded marketing guy at the studio. So it was so funny to, to for me to go from a creative role in hollywood to me being the suit in a creative place with all the the creative guys and and i mean i could speak their language and that was that was why i had that role was because i had an mba so i could talk to corporate right. and i had been you know a creative in hollywood for a decade so i could kind of speak the language of the guys who worked there and and it was it was great uh but but I was, there was a time, especially crunch on video games, you know, when you're getting to the end, you got to meet that deadline is just notorious as like a, a death march where just people are working insane hours to to crush bugs and, and get the game out there. And uh, it's, you know, it can be horrible. But so there was a long time because uh, I shouldn't think I shipped, we shipped like three or four games and only those, those like three years that I was there. And there was, there was a lot of times where I would, I would wake up at like 6 a.m., like work on the blog for like three hours or so, uh, go to work, work until like seven, 8 PM and then read, uh, until I went to bed so that I would have something to blog about the next day. And I would do that like six days a week and, uh, for months, you know, actually maybe for a couple of years. And, and it was, that was pretty punishing, but I just always wanted to keep the blog going, but it was, that was, that was like my life. And uh, that was really hard. But then in uh, 2013, I, I started, I started just focusing full time on on the blog. So how? So when you leave there, though, because yeah. there are no ads on the blog. No, no, it was just no. I mean, I, I there's there's Amazon there's Amazon affiliate, but right. but that's so basically it was like it was like it was literally savings. Right. I just wanted to focus uh, full time on the blog, but I wasn't focused on monetizing, <laughs> which which uh, you know maybe my business school professors are shaking their heads right now, but. Um, I don't know. For me, that's like, wasn't, it wasn't really what it was about. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, but, but, but by that time also, I would yeah. imagine you had a pretty decent sized readership. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly had a big, a big readership. It was, when was it? It was in, I think August, 2014 that my mailing list hit, uh, a hundred thousand. Um, so, so it was, it was already pretty. So by, by end of 2013, it was, it was pretty good. I don't know where it was, maybe, maybe like 60,000 or something. Right. But, um, but it was showing itself. It was like, yeah. there's a trajectory. Oh, and it was growing here. at a, it was growing at a very, a very consistent rate. But, um, but no, it's like, for me, I, I've just always, I mean, you know, my, my site's not very pretty. Um, it's not, uh, well, that's the funny <laughs> thing. I went, I was on your site this morning before we were hanging yeah. out 
And I'm like, they're such, they're such maniacal for everybody's out there now. And like in the internet world saying like, like every, everything's visual. It has to be beautifully designed and like that. Nobody will pay attention. Yeah. And like you said, your blog isn't hideous by, by any measure, but it's, it's, it's like very, very, very simple and streamlined. And then I clicked on your about page and it's basically like, like a post from 2009, like circa, yeah, like September or something like that, that yeah. hasn't been updated. No. And I'm like, it's so interesting, right? Who? But it, it it is it is such a validation of the role of depth of wisdom and how that can still really sustain and it still matters um, in in a time where everyone is it's all about visual it's all about flash and it's all about fast yeah I mean for me it, for me it's it's just really about the content like in the end it's just it's about the content if people like it they'll like it if they don't they don't and and that's where i spend my time and it's like i don't have <laughs> i get a lot of emails where it's like if, if you know it's like if you can please if you could please direct this to eric or direct this to the head of marketing and i'm like looking over my shoulder like it's just me you know hi i'm all those things you know it's it's really just me and it's i i, I I don't know. I mean, so I, I don't, I don't code. Uh, I have a friend who's kind, who's an IT guy who's kind enough to make sure that the site doesn't go down on a daily basis. Uh, but you know, I just focus on the content and that's why, I mean, there's not even a photo of me on the blog. There's no real bio. There's not, it's like, it's well, like not a, I said, if you yeah. look for details about you, online, <laughs> it's not the easiest thing to find. No, 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 it's, it's, uh, not, not at all. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, maybe after the, maybe after the book promotion, that'll change, but, but, uh, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't uh, spent enough time, uh, I guess talking about, but it know. almost, it almost feels like it's actually so hard to find that it's a deliberate effort by you to say, this is not about me. This is about the ideas. Well, I mean, in the end, that's what it's got to be. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, if, if you like, I mean, I, you know, I, it would be nice if people like me, I guess, but it's like, it's about the content and, you know, maybe the style that it's presented in, but you know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's not, it's, it's not really important who, yeah. who I am. Which, which actually kind of like an interesting segue maybe into some of the ideas that you share in the book. Um, in terms of, so you, you shared that you're, you're wired more on the introverted side of the spectrum, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. which kind of like validates everything that you're saying here. It's like, Hey, yeah. listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of, I'm going to hide behind this thing and put, put the, you know, my work out there Yeah, and I want you to interact with the work and not so much me. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you, if you like, if you like what I'm doing, you know, great. It's like there, you know, that if you, if you like what I find or what I talk about, you know, great, but it's, it's not really about me. I mean, um, you know, I don't, I don't really talk about, I'm, I'll mention little things vaguely, maybe here and there about stuff, but it's like, I don't, I don't delve into like personal stories or whatever it's about. I'd, I'd much rather it be a connection for, for the reader with the, with the material. Yeah. So, so, so let's dive into some of the work, um, that you explore around introverts and extroverts yeah. because it's interesting. And, yeah. and again, it's, it's about paradox, you know, yeah. it's not like, you know, this is good, like introvert, good, yeah. extrovert, bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, take me into that conversation a bit. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, it's really pretty amazing. I mean, the amount of research in terms of extroversion is, you know, a positives in terms of extroverts is enormous and gets a lot of publicity. Um, you know, I mean, extroverts, uh, obviously, you know, much better at, at, uh, networking, um, you know, so it helps them get jobs, but one of the most proven repeatedly things in personality research is the connection between extroversion and subjective well-being which is a fancy way of saying extroverts are happier. And in fact, there's one study that if you get introverts to act like extroverts, they're happier. And has that gets, been replicated? Uh, I, I don't, curious. I don't know. Yeah. But if you tell introverts interact more with people, you know, yeah. on average, kind they're going to get more value. The extrovert role. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and as somebody who's pretty introverted himself, that's, it's, you know, a little sad to me. And I was kind of like, Oh geez, it's like, you know, what, what's going on here? But what's interesting with introverts is what you see is uh, is that that hallmark of expertise of uh, introverts have all this time that they're not using socializing that if they so choose uh, that the people uh, introverts are far more like introversion is correlated with higher grades. Introversion is correlated with PhDs, with uh, with Phi Beta Kappa keys, with even athletes in, you know, uh, athletes who, again, need to spend time on skill training. I think it was a disproportionate number, a vast disproportionate, I think like over 80% of, you know, professional athletes considered themselves introverts. And so across the board, and there was also a study, 
Also, extroversion is also correlated with, you know, like uh, gambling, drugs, uh, all these risky, exciting, but potentially dangerous things. And the uh, the other one that's a, a small coup for the introverts is um, what was the what was the fancy scientific jargon? It was um, extroversion is uh, strongly correlated. It was it was inversely correlated with uh, with uh, personal sufficiency. Anyway, point being, the more extroverted somebody is, the worse they are at the job. <laughs> now, I'm sure there are exceptions like maybe sales or something, but that you're you're introverts are spending more time on the work so it it, it was really interesting to look at the yeah. the different types i wonder um i mean raising the introvert hand yeah. over here also so yeah. i'm like i i so want to believe all of this yeah um i wonder um there's a lot of that research been done in the last five years or is there cause my curiosity around yeah. it is this um completely see how a more introverted sort of wiring can mm -hmm. say, okay, let me just dive deep into the work. That's me. Like, that's yeah. you. Yeah. Like, and, and that will over time yield some really extraordinary outcomes, hopefully. Yeah. And at the same time, that also probably keeps a lot of us um, connected digitally for, and in isolation for longer windows of time. So I wonder whether that also leads to, to two things. One is, higher levels of feelings of isolation and risk for depression and anxiety. And also like, I wonder if the evolution, if research that that's similar, like if you sort of like take that over, like the very, very, very recent future, I wonder if the opportunity for distraction that's presented to introverts who spend so much more time, you know, like on machines and in isolation now, yeah. Um, would actually diminish sort of the, the, the potential for like having that same level of like really going deep into subjects and, yeah. and creating, um, super high quality work. Cause I mean, you like, you can get lost in games and all yeah. <laughs> endless ways to be distracted online. It was, it's really interesting you say that because, uh. I was on Scott Barry Kaufman's podcast and, and he pointed yeah, to research. Scott, he, fascinating. Yes, and he had done, and he had actually done research that showed that it's like, Obviously, you know, introverts, uh, if, you know, without spending time as much time socializing, uh, that time is available for, for, for something else. Uh, but he had said that they're, they're not necessarily using that for skill acquisition right. or whatever else. So to your point, um, especially today where you have so many free, uh, ubiquitous options for entertainment. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, the, 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 the introverts who, uh, who want to use their superpower wisely, uh, need to be choosing to, to, to work on something that is skill-based or effective, uh, as opposed to, you know, just playing a new Grand Theft Auto. I mean, so that's just because that, that possibility is there doesn't mean they're, they're, they're going to use that time wisely. And that's what Scott was talking about it. Um, so, I mean, so extroversion could be crowding out those hours, but it doesn't mean that the introverts are using those extra hours wisely. Yeah. And, and I think the flip side also, I wonder if it's true in that, whereas, you know, you would have presumed that the introvert is a distant advantage because they're not spending all that time out there building their quote network. Yeah. If they're, and this is the idea behind content marketing, if yeah. they're creating extraordinary things and then um, putting it out into the world through digital channels, then people have the opportunity to interact with, this is your story, right? <laughs> yeah. People have yeah. the opportunity yeah. to interact with it. So you mm -hmm. can, in theory... Mm -hmm. build an extraordinary network and an extraordinary body of work without um, having to actually, you know, be the extrovert where, you know, the network is, the network is connected to your ideas mm -hmm. rather than you. So it's a yeah. different network, Yeah, but you still get to leverage it in the way that, you know, in, you know, 10 years ago, a raging extrovert would have been able to leverage their personal connections. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's, potentially infinitely scalable yeah you know as, as opposed to how many hours in a day can you be shaking hands and maintain versus you know uh you know a mailing list that goes into six figures you know yeah it's like, such an interesting time it's like I, i'm kind of excited to see where the next wave of because people have got to start to be looking at these questions right um, i mean we're we're, we're going to start to hit you know real limits where you know mostly on attention where it's just you know, pe people, no, no matter what else we do, uh, people only have X number of hours in a day. And if it's the opportunity cost equation where we're, we're, if we're spending it here, we're not spending it there. Yeah. So interesting. Another topic that you explore, which I'll, I'll frame up as sort of the, the tension between grit and quit. Yeah. 
you know, like going deep into something that we've, we've certainly, yeah. you know, the popular media mm-hmm. last probably five, six, seven years spurred largely by Angela Duckworth's work on yeah. grit. Yeah. It's been like the people who succeed, you know, like they have this one singular quality. Yeah. Um, yet that is not the whole story. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, the example I usually use is it's like if, if, if we were all grit, no quit, then, you know, you, you'd, you'd still be playing t-ball and you would still be doing everything you did when you were nine years old. I mean, you know, we, we do quit things, you know, we do. And sometimes we, we have to. So I think it's more of an issue of, of when, you know, or what and kind of deciding, you know, and there are things that help us, uh, help us with grit, but there's also the, the issue of, of, uh, you know, of like Peter Sims is a great book, little bets, where to me, that's, that is a strategy that's more focused on quitting. You're, you're trying, you're, you know, they try 10 things, taking again, the venture capital model, trying, taking 10 things and knowing that seven things you try aren't going to work out. Two of them might be okay. And one of them is going to be your next career. It's going to be your next big opportunity. It's going to be, it's going to be something awesome, but you're, you're playing knowing that most things aren't, aren't going to work out. That is a quit based thing, not a grit based. And, uh, and I think we, we, I understand that it's like absolutely, you know, enormous, People from sticking with it, people do very well. And that's something that can have consistent effort is something people struggle with. Uh, but I think we can't just say, oh, you know, grit's the answer to everything. It's like, no, I mean, if you were, if you were grit focused in the, uh, in the horse and buggy industry, when the car was coming along, that wasn't a very wise decision. <laughs> um, there are times where, especially, uh, when you look at careers these days, most people, most people are having multiple careers. They're having many different jobs, many different roles. So in that arena, we need to be thinking options, not necessarily grit 24 seven. Yeah. And, and especially because, you know, once you, I think on two levels in business, once something proves itself yeah. as viable, yeah. um, and on a personal level, once something proves itself as this is something I care deeply about, yeah. and this is, this is the right this is a path that feels really good and that I want to deepen into. Yeah. Then I feel like that that's a moment where, yeah, let's figure out how to cultivate grit, which is still a huge open question. You yeah. know, like, you know, like, you know, like, and, 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 and Angela Duckworth says this, she's like, yeah. grit matters, yeah. but I'm still not quite at the place where I can tell you exactly how to get it. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so there is that window where, you know, like once you have that thing yeah. and it is in some way validated by mm-hmm. metrics that are meaningful, yeah. now let's, let's go all in. Yeah. But to get to that thing, yeah. you've got to be open to dropping a whole bunch of stuff to just running experiments and mm-hmm. saying, let me go just far enough so I can figure out whether it's, you know, it's giving me signals that say yes or no. Yeah. And then if it's not, I'm, I'm going to walk away and, I've seen as many people flame out because they refuse to walk away to something that Absolutely. was clearly showing itself as not what they thought it would be. Um, yeah. and ending up causing tremendous pain in their lives and in their, their careers. I mean, no, we, we all, we all had a, we all have all had a relationship. Yeah, I'm raising that, my hand. Yeah. But it's like, we've all had a relationship where like, I should have ended that six months earlier, you know, or, or a job where, why did I stick around? You know, this wasn't going anywhere and I know it. And you know where where quitting is really good. I tell I tell the story in there of um, Spencer Glendon who uh, who had a you know a degenerative uh, liver condition, and um, and he, he had gotten sick to the point where he 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 wanted to feel like he was accomplishing something. He wanted to do something, and his his therapist told him, "It's like okay, we'll just focus on doing one thing a day." And it was a very valuable. And this is this is a guy who who got a PhD in economics from Harvard, so uh, he was learning the most personal uh, version of opportunity cost. And that's something I kind of advocate in the book is, is saying, it's like, okay, if you could only accomplish one task a day, what would it be? And so Spencer was actually put in that situation. And some nights all he could do is make dinner. That was, that was the one thing that he would accomplish. And to ask yourself that question, you can start to see, okay, well, what is the thing that I should be gritty at? And what are the things that I go that's really not important? Because grit and quit are not necessarily opposites. They're complementary. Because the more things you quit, the more room you have to apply grit to that thing yeah, that is important. That actually matters. Yeah. yeah. No, so great. Um, I mean, it's interesting too, because it all folds into sort of the bigger exploration of legacy too. Um, And increasingly I look at, at, at legacy, um, not so much as like, what's the footprint I want to leave behind, but how can I have one good day and then tomorrow and then tomorrow and then tomorrow and just like operate on the faith that if I do that, it'll add up to what, whatever the legacy it needs to be, it'll be, but that's not the lens that most of us have. Um, I think, cause we all want to live forever. <laughs> well, and I think, and I think our, our society kind of makes us feel like we don't, we don't like to talk about that. Nah. 
We don't, we really don't. You see a lot, a lot of cultures have, you know, day of the dead or they have something that's built into the culture. We like to act like that doesn't happen here. (laughs) (laughs) Americans don't die. (laughs) No, no, we don't. Good good consumers never die. (laughs) It's all marketing. (laughs) Exactly. And, um, and I think there's, and I think that causes us some some problems. I think you know the fact that the fact that one of the most inev- one of the few inevitable things uh, goes goes undiscussed. Yeah, no, I I do, I do get a sense that there is an opening conversation to it, though. I don't know. Have you? I mean, because you're tapped into so many sources. Am mm-hmm. I making that up, or am I? Just, is that wishful thinking, or have you seen? Do you feel like in sort of your scanning and researching, it's bubbling up as sort of like exploring the the idea of impermanence and in, in in any way or not so much I, it's funny i'm that's that's the area that i'm i'm not up on like news and popular yeah. culture and like i'm i'm up on you know books and and stuff but that that's books and research and but it's like uh, i don't i don't really follow the news so it, it could be and yeah. i i wouldn't and i wouldn't be aware but but i think i think there's a you know I don't think it get. I think it, uh, I think it makes people a little uh, kind of cringe, and I and I think we're we're much more focused on keeping people alive than quality of life. Yeah, uh, especially in the medical industry. Nah, I, yeah, I can't argue with that. Actually, um, I remember doing some research a while back, and uh, we were looking at like why are, why are people so focused on on uh, legacy, and it was like the terror management theory. It's like <laughs> they, they just they yeah. they don't want to actually they want to manage the you know that yeah. basically they want to become immortal. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And uh and so I, I get it, but it, but I, I do think there's tremendous value to saying, look, someday this is all gonna end. Yeah. Um for me, for those around me. So what am I gonna do today to make it as good as I can make it? I, I absolutely think you're right. And I and I think that I think in that also built into that is is the issue of phases of life where you you realize that, you know, you you don't value the same things now that you did when you were a teenager. And twenty, thirty years now from now, you're not gonna value to the same degree the things you do now yeah. and just realizing that you know there's different phases of life different times of life and you know when you're in that that stage you know there are things will look different and to, to count on that you know i think as opposed to we always we always think that we always say oh i made mistakes in the past but today i'm doing everything right yeah. and it's like no it's like we're gonna we're gonna realize that we're making mistakes now and that's okay yeah and that's okay that's so interesting the whole phases of life thing i think is fascinating too i know um i think you've written about this also how when you're when you're younger you know like you look at people sort of like in the the the, the later seasons of their life yeah. and feel like well now is the time where i've got everything like i'm the happiest and then but the research actually bears out the exact opposite that yeah. it's actually like you know the later season of life where people tend to report being much more satisfied and happy absolutely i mean it's it's now older people are happier i mean a, a big part of it is is that a, a big part of it is, is not magic you know, it's, it's not magic. It's basically, you know, we, we will often be critical of, uh, of, of older folks for being set in their ways. And we'll also be critical of youth for, uh, for being so kind of fun focused and try new things and the same. And, and the thing is that when you try new things, it's, it's fun when you find something that's cool, but you miss the target. Most of the time you do things and it doesn't work out or this isn't that fun or this isn't. So you do occasionally uh, hit the jackpot, but you also, uh, you also don't do so well as versus older people spend a lot of time on this planet. They know what they enjoy. They do those things. They play the odds. (laughs) And so they have a far better hit rate in terms of their happiness because they know what they like to eat. They know where they like to go. They know what they like to wear and they know what they like to do. And they do those things. And they're not running out to parties, meeting 10 new people, five of whom are lame, two are jerks, and three are okay. They're hanging out with the three people they absolutely know they get along with. And, you know, and that keeps them very happy. And so, no, in general, older people are much happier. Yeah, so interesting. It all circles back to, like, your exploration of paradox. What's something that you're kind of salivating over these days? <laughs> um, I'm doing a lot of re- uh, reading in terms of the dark triad which is the three personality characteristics that are, uh, are <laughs> uh, nefarious, are evil, uh, narcissism, Machiavellianism, and psychopathy. And um, it's really interesting to, to just, you know, to see what they correlate with, what they, what they don't correlate with. And uh, so I've been doing a lot of reading in, in that area kind of, kind of for, uh, for fun. Um, has nothing to do with the state of the world or planet these days. No, this is far more personal. <laughs> um, but, but, um, and so, uh, another area is, um, 
I, I've been wanting to do this post for months, but I've been so busy with the book stuff is, um, there's a post. I did an interview with a, uh, a PhD researcher at MIT on the neuroscience of meditation. And so he's actually been doing, uh, or been involved with, uh, brain imaging studies and, uh, basically looking at what happens in the brain when people meditate, what do experienced meditators brains look like? And what are the, uh, what is the, the neuros, the neurosignature, the kind of like profile of that? What does that most resemble, you know, otherwise in people's, in people's brains? And, and basically, you know, what comes out of that is that the, the neurosignature of, of meditation is actually the flow state. They're basically, they look the same. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. And so it's great stuff. And I've, and of course I've been way too ambitious about this (laughs) and, uh, basically, you know, so I've been trying to read some of the like old Buddhist texts. I've been trying to read his studies. I've been trying to look at this and figure out how the default mode network gets switched off and all that. And I'm, I'm kind of being way too ambitious about it, but, but it, but it's, it's really been exciting. Yeah. That, I mean, that's really neat because if, if you, if you do go into a lot of those old texts also yeah, yeah. across different traditions, the state that they, you know, describe yeah, yeah. Samadhi, enlightenment, yeah, bliss yeah. would probably like, if you, if you deconstructed that, what does it feel like? Yeah. Um, well, not feel so much, right? Because right. a flow state is a state that, you know, like transcends feel. Yeah. Um, but if you, you know, describe the qualities of it, yeah. I guess it's probably a tremendous amount of uh, coherence there. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was just fascinating to me. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's like where you're, you're not noticing the passage of time, you're fully engaged. It's like that, that sounds kind of like the ultimate goal of mindfulness. Yeah, in theory, although I've been yeah. meditating for a lot of years and I haven't reached that stage <laughs> yet. So I'm like, when's it going to come, man? Show me the white light. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on. I don't have all day. <laughs> so just give me one day, like yeah. one day a year. That's it. Ex- ex- just exactly. Keep, just keep me in it, man. Um, so it feels like a, a, a good place to come full circle with yeah. you. Um, so as we said here, this is, you know, the name of this is Good Life Project. Yeah. Um, and you're a guy who spent a lot of years researching all the different elements. So if I offer that phrase out to you to live yeah. a good life, what comes up? Wow, I wish I had more time to prepare. Mm. <laughs> I um, It's really interesting because I, I did a post recently where I was collecting a lot of like research and kind of like uh, looking at some Buddhist texts and some Stoic texts. And, uh, and one question uh, that I said, people should often ask themselves whenever they're clinging to something sad about something to ask themselves. It's like, do I, do I have to have this to live a good life? And I would ask, I think that's a valuable question to ask whenever it's kind of like, damn, I got this or just clinging or I have to have this or, oh, I'm so clever. And to just say, it's like, do I have to have that? Not, not maybe there's a bigger thing behind that. Like, but if it's love, does it have to be that person? If it's, if it's a, if it's a job, does it have to be that job? Do I have to have this thing to live a good life? And I think it's very, I think it's very simple. Um, you know, uh, so I, I don't know for me to have a, to have a good life. I, I want to be, I want to be fully engaged. I want to be learning. I want to be growing. And, and I want what I do to benefit other people. I don't, I don't know if that's the kind of answer, but that, that would probably be a quick summary. Mm. Thank you. Thanks, man. And as we wrap up, I want to give a final shout out to our awesome sponsors and supporters. Right now, you can post a job on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash good. Today's show is sponsored by FreshBooks, which is a super cool cloud accounting software. To claim your month-long unrestricted free trial with no credit card required, go to freshbooks.com slash goodlife and enter the Good Life Project in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If the stories and ideas in any way moved you, I would so appreciate if you would take just a few extra seconds for two quick things. One, if it's touched you in some way, if there's some idea or moment in the story or in the conversation that you really feel like you would share with somebody else, that it would make a difference in somebody else's life. Take a moment and whatever app you're using, just share this episode with somebody who you think it'll make a difference for. Email it if that's the easiest thing, whatever is easiest for you. And then of course, if you're compelled, subscribe so that you can stay a part of this continuing experience. 
My greatest hope with this podcast is not just to produce moments um, and share stories and ideas that impact one person listening, but to let it create a conversation, to let it serve as a catalyst for the elevation of all of us together, collectively, because that's how we rise. When stories and ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change happens. And I would love to invite you to participate on that level. Thank you so much, as always, for your intention, for your attention, for your heart. And um, I wish you only the best. I'm Jonathan Fields, signing off for Good Life Project. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.